0: everyone hope you guys enjoy our talk today with master keith cook here in bayashi five-time world martial arts grand champion and competitor of the year in 1983 85 and 86 awesome so keith thank you for joining us today my pleasure Uh, let's kind of start with what kind of got you into martial arts what about your your upbringing and kind of what led you the kind of career path you chose
1: Yeah, uh, I was I I got I got my ass kicked by by this kid at school and I always felt, you know, like insecure and humiliated by it. And I didn't even fight back. And the teacher used to go out of the room every day at two o'clock. And there was this kid who was supposed to be the toughest kid in the school and he would just beat somebody up. You know, she like went out to have a cigarette. And, um, one day he comes up to me and says, Hey, let's play hot hands. You know, that, that thing where you yeah. yeah. and he punched me right in the face. And then he punched me like five or six more times and I didn't fight back. And I felt really, you know, like everybody in the class felt really sorry for, for whoever got beat up, but nobody ever told on him, you know, and I didn't even tell my parents. And honestly, he didn't punch very hard, you know? It was like it's one of those things where I didn't know how to fight and I just didn't think, you know, it was something. But I would have loved to if I go back to that day, I would have punched him right back in the face, you know. And and I just I just uh, that's really what got me really interested in it. And then when I saw Bruce Lee, I was just like, oh, my God, nobody ever picks on this guy, you know, and and. I got really interested in it. I got really interested in, I had bought a karate book and I was trying to learn from a book and I had basically figured out the kicks and stuff like that and thought they might work for me, but that's pretty, that's pretty naive. You know, I wanted to, since Bruce Lee did Kung Fu, I wanted to do Kung Fu. So I told my dad and I started calling places. I was 13 and, uh, So this was like 47 years ago. And uh, the first Kung Fu place that we went to was the Seattle Kung Fu Club in Chinatown. You had to go up these stairs and they had a door and we knocked on the door and you could hear people training and stuff, but they opened it up like this, you know? Yeah, (laughs) you know? And I could see weapons hanging on the wall and stuff. And I said, we'd like to watch a class. he was like, no, we don't do that. You got to make an appointment and come down and meet the, you know. And so I, I end up, um, we didn't, I wasn't that interested in that place. They were the most expensive place in town, and that's why I wanted to go there. I figured they must be the best. <laughs> right, right. And anyway, so uh, we, I saw a demonstration at, at a street fair in Seattle of this guy doing kung fu. And it was a much younger guy from China. His name was Roger Tung. And he had a whole uh, bunch of kids my age in the demonstration. And I was really impressed. And so I decided to sign up at his place. And I stayed there for years and years, you know, training. And so is,
0: is that something where you kind of, as you, so when you do all the training, at what point were you kind of like, Man, I want to compete and start fighting at these tournaments and stuff like that.
1: I started competing the first year. You know, I was still in junior division up until when you're 15. And I probably went to, like in in the beginning, like three or four tournaments a year. And then, you know, by the time I really got going, I I was going to two tournaments a month, you know. Right. So uh, you get a lot of experience because, you know, you've probably been to karate tournaments. I don't know if you, if you have. I mean, I've never partaken, but I've definitely watched them, or
0: I, I try and watch as many
1: as I can just because it's so The matches are really fast, right? I mean, they, they're two minutes, you know, right. two-minute two round usually. Um, sometimes uh, when I got up to the black belt division, sometimes they'd be longer or they'd be multiple rounds. But that was kind of unusual. It was usually – you know, two minutes and whoever has the most points at the end of two minutes wins, or if you get to three points or five points or whatever the winning score was. So, you know, I mean, I, I must've fought in thousands of those matches, you know, those two minute matches, you know, over the (laughs) years, you know, and it's like anything, you know, like, like you see it in, even in amateur boxing, some of the guys hit really hard. Some of the guys, are just trying to get points, you know? And it was like that back in those days in these tournaments. Some of the guys are trying to take your head off, you know? Right. Some of the guys barely touch you, you know? And I, I think I ended up getting some pretty good experience in those tournaments. And I eventually got into boxing and kickboxing, you know? And uh, I was always really amazed with boxing because, you know, the guys could stand so close to each other and fe- seemingly, seemingly be so calm, and so I was really curious about boxing. And then when I when I got to the University of Washington, I joined the boxing club there. And uh, so that was probably in about 1977, something like right. that. And uh, I eventually became president of the boxing club. And we had smokers. We had a we had a professional boxer, ex professional boxer named Van Taylor. He wasn't like a super famous. He was more of a club fighter, but he had fought professionally quite a bit. And he also taught at the boys club downtown and he knew other clubs. So we would have smokers against the, the other clubs. And the university of Washington was a really cool place because the intramural sports building had a boxing room. And that was really unusual. I think at universities for them to have a boxing room that actually has a ring and, a speed bag room, heavy bags. And so every Friday night was like sparring night for martial arts guys. And everybody came down there and it was, we had a lot of world champions from there. And uh, one of the guys who maybe you remember, it was Maurice Smith, who yes. became, he became the, uh, he was the first striker to win the heavyweight world UFC championship. Good. He was a really good kickboxer. I knew him. I fought on the same card with him when I was the main event, and he was like, uh, you know, and it, obviously it was a very small, uh, you know, fight card. But he he couldn't even kick straight back then. He couldn't even, but he was really he was really tough and game from the beginning. And I followed him and trained with him. Uh, I remember when I went up to Canada and saw him fight Tony Morelli. You know this guy who was the WKA world champion way back then. Anyway, it was a great place because so many people came down there and fought on Friday nights, you know?
0: And right. I, was, I was just
1: lucky, you know? Just lucky, just happened to, you know, go to be in the right place at the right time. But it was, uh, I got a lot of training there in boxing and kickboxing, you know?
0: So many of your contemporaries, I know we, we're good friends with Lauren Avedon, uh, yeah. Richard Dorton, yeah. Dog the Dragon, they always say your feet are so fast. So I guess my question, did boxing help your kicking become better? Or I mean obviously they're kind of they work hand to hand, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh I think honestly, you know, the, the things I went to a couple of Superfoot Bill Wallace seminars. Yes. He you know, I, I actually end up getting to know him pretty well because I went to South Africa. We fought the South African team. I went with Billy Blanks. He was one of the honorary, he was one of the coaches. And then I ended up doing a demonstration uh, thing in Italy with him. We went all the way from the South of Italy to the North of Italy um, with one of my coaches named Chuck Merriman. Have you heard of Chuck Merriman? oh, Oh, yes. He's, he's, he's an old timer. He's from New York and, uh, he used to do a lot of he used to do a lot of security for rock stars and stuff like that. Um, but he's a really great guy. I happened to just talk to him yesterday because we had a a zoom from the whole team. He says oh, the best sport karate team ever assembled in the history of karate. And Billy Blank is on it. Linda Denley. Uh, oh, wow. Um, there were some great, great um uh, Kevin Thompson, little K-A, they call him. He just passed away from ALS just recently. Steve Nasty Anderson just passed away. He was on that team. I got to train with all those guys, you know, and it was – we had two training camps a year where they would fly us out just to train together, nothing to do with a tournament or a competition or anything. And it was just a really great experience. You know, it was really fun. You learn a lot, you know. Um but, you know, the kicking speed thing, I think, came from going to like Bill Wallace's seminars early on. Before I even knew him, I went to his a couple of his seminars and learned a lot of kicking drills. And I would do those kicking drills religiously with, with uh, partners. I did a lot of partner kicking drills. And I think I developed a lot of balance and control, core strength, you know, kicking at someone. Really, you know, like with real good distance from so coming really close, like what, like that, what, you know, kicking really fast and just barely touching them or not touching them at all, but going all the way in, like with a round kick or a hook kick and practicing really good control, you know. And then also kicking pads, really kicking pads and stuff with partners, you know. Did a right. lot of partner kicking. I used to try to do at least a thousand kicks a day, you know.
0: One of the uh, well, I was talking with Warren about the king kick- of the kickboxers. He was telling me about the scene where you kind of, right, whoever's ever seen the movie where they act and you think you're drunk or you're not in it, and then you just come out the door and just beat the shit on these people. Yeah, but yeah, one kick where you kick a guy so hard in the face. And it was, Laura goes, it's he goes, it almost looks so fake how fast you were. And so I was just kind of, it's kind of cool to have that kind of,
1: yeah. You know, um, Actually, when I did, I actually met John Saxon, who just passed away, oddly enough. Uh, uh, Fred Weintraub, who produced Enter the Dragon, uh, he also produced The China O'Briens. Yes. And I worked for him on several TV shows also, The Adventures of Robin Hood, with Richard Norton did also. Richard (laughs) Norton Norton worked for him a lot, too. Um, Fred Weintraub said it in that documentary thing that that John Saxon was the host. And he goes, he goes, he says, your, your feet are as fast as Bruce Lee's hands, according to Fred Weintraub. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really good. You know, it's a really good promo and stuff. But I was like, no way. You know, come on. But, uh, yeah, I got known for having fast feet, definitely. Yeah. Yeah,
0: a lot of those fights, it just seems fake. Because I remember growing up and watching the channel Brian or like Heat Seeker, it's like, Yeah, like I did before. Like obviously, it's not CGI, but I'm like, there's got to be wires. There's got. It doesn't make sense, but it's it is it is fascinating, and it must be really cool to be have full circle, working with him after your admiration towards Bruce Lee. Exactly, cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've told this story probably too many times, but one day I came home from training, and the phone rings, and it was Fred Weintraub on the phone. And I was early on when I had moved to Los Angeles to pursue the movie thing. And the, the editor of Inside Kung Fu magazine, Dave Cater, had recommended me to uh, to Fred. And he called me up and he said, I want you to come over to my office. I was like, okay, I'll, I'm going to take a shower. I'll be right over. He goes, no, don't take a shower. Come right over right now. And I was so pumped up. You know, I was like, I get to their office and they go, so we hear you're a martial artist. And I, I stood up. I go, you want to see some? You know, I was just so ready. And you know, like Lauren's my audition for King of the Kickboxers, i told that the- I was like, you know, the, the we did a bunch of the acting stuff, and you know, of course, you know, that couldn't have blown them away. But the but he but the, the producer, his name was NG, he goes he goes, I want to see some martial arts now. And I was I was just so ready. I felt kind of sorry for Lauren because I really wanted the role, you know what I mean? Right. So I started kicking at him. Man, I started kicking him on, you know, since it was a, you know, a high story, I was kicking him on his legs and like kicking him that close to his face and stuff. And you know, my was just really going. And I, I happened to look over at the producer and he was laughing. He was laughing.
0: When you're filming with uh, people like Lord, Billy Blank, Richard Orange, Cynthia Rothrock, is there yeah. ever any. I, I, I do think that ego is healthy in small doses, but is there ever a time where you guys are trying to one-up each other and you're just kind of like, does that affect how you, you're filming or is it kind of, I gotta be the star here?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like when um, I remember in uh, in King of the Kickboxers, I did that scene with Billy and I, I knew Billy really well because we were on teams together. We were on the Budweiser team, the You know, he was a member of that team that we had the zoom last night. And so I had known him for years. I had actually taught a seminar at his school. And so we were really, we were really good. We, we had trained together a lot and we, we want to make the scene look as good as possible. And Billy is pretty, I mean, he is a badass dude, you know, like I remember one of the things that he did, you know, he was supposed to have some kind of special technique that nobody could stand up to. And they had to do a scene of me getting my ass kicked by him which, you know, I wasn't thrilled about, but I want to make it look good. And he did this thing where he jumped up and put his legs apart like that and brought both legs in and slammed them against my head like that, like wham, like that. And I had to block him, but I'm telling you, he did it so hard that I it rang my bell a little bit. Even though I, my arms were up blocking it, my arms slammed into my head, you know. Right. Uh, you know, I love that kind of stuff, though. You know, I mean, I just I I, I I wanted I wanted fights to look real, you know, as 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 real as possible, you know. And uh, that was a really cool fight in King of the Kickboxers because uh, Corey Ewan came in and did directed only that one fight in the film. And I remember Lauren sitting there, you know, he goes, hey, he gave me a because I did this. I did a, a double spinning hook kick on somebody. I spun and then I spun again on him. and He said, why don't you jump on the last one? I was like, great idea. And I did it, you know. And But, you know, working with Corey U.N. was like a really big honor for me, you know. And it was really cool because when he came to the set, all of a sudden everybody, like, shaped up, you know. Right. Like the boss is here, you know. And it was really cool. It was really cool. So the other
0: night I watched IP Band 4, uh, the Donnie Yen movie. I know you kind of follow different movies and stuff. And basically just a bit, it was a karate versus a kung fu kind of, the mm-hmm. cult. it came to it, like, who, who's the better, whatever. So yeah. I'm watching it, and I, I really couldn't see the difference. So right. if, are you able to explain kind of what is the difference between k- karate
1: and kung fu? Um, you know, honestly... At the heart and the soul of it, I don't think there is a difference because, right. you know, uh, the the guys in Okinawa, like, you know, the Okinawan, yeah. you know, where where karate came from, they kind of credit China with in the very beginning it was called China hand, and the Shorin Ryu Shorin Ryu is a style, an Okinawan style of karate, and I've known several guys that do that, and. Shorin means Shaolin, you know, Shorin Ru means like the Shaolin way. And so it can kind of be traced back to the, you know, the Shaolin temple. And there was also one Shorin Ji Kenpo, which is another karate style from Japan that traces their heritage back to the Shaolin temple, you know, and a lot of those guys have sort of gone on, pilgrimages back to see where their art originally came from and so I think you know like you know there's probably people that think that um, you know the Japanese made it better through evolution you know over years and years but I think there's a lot of people who look back you know and I think I think you know there's there's there is a difference, you know. Like if you go back to the samurai or you go back to the Shaolin Temple, when people were really doing this to survive, in other words, to, you know, they had to do it really well or they'd get killed. You know, right? How do you how do you raise the stakes any higher than that? You know, and I've often wondered where that led them. You know, in their practice, you know, where did that? what did that look like, you know, right. Um, And, and feel like, you know, and so uh, I think the truth is they came from the same place and, you know, and, and honestly, the things that, that go, uh, that sort of transcend style is, is things like principles, physics, you know, how do I get power in a punch? That's not going to change because of my style really. I mean, there are fundamental, you know, things that are just true. You know, how do you get how do you block a punch? How do you get out of the way of a punch? You know, and it's interesting to me how people who are smart enough and really put themselves out there come to a lot of the same conclusions about things, you know. Right. And I think you see it in MMA now. You know, a lot of the good fighters, they may have. Uh, a karate background but they they're responsible enough to know that they have to learn jujitsu you know right and they have to learn how to box boxing is one of the best martial arts out there you know uh where you learn how 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 to move your head how to move your body to absorb energy coming in you know and i learned so much from boxing it came to me you know, one of the things I used to do was when I was trying to interpret something that was in my martial arts training that I didn't really understand. Nobody explained this to me. I would try to understand it from the perspective of a boxer, you know, and I found that very useful for figuring out the application that might be in some traditional form. I would think, how would I use this in boxing, you know, and make right. it, work, you know, and I think you know, a lot of the ways they figured out to do things way back when was because they didn't want to get killed when somebody was stabbing them with a knife or something like that. You know, Right. You know that you got to respect that, you know? And so I don't really think about it with style. I know Bruce Lee always had a thing, you know, there's no such thing as style, you know, uh, as a style of martial arts, because I think what, and he tried to, explore that a lot like in the game of death, you know, where there each level had a different, you know, quote unquote style. But he was trying to learn whatever he could from any different style that he found useful. And I think that's just like MMA. You know, I think, you know, we get to watch these guys go at it, guys and girls, right? You know? Go on at it and in a way, you know, and, and you see people that can really box. And really do jujitsu, you know, and I love that. Or really wrestle, you know. Really kickbox, you know. And that's a lot of different skills to try to master. And I think it's a mistake to try to get stuck on a style, like thinking it's superior than something else or something like that, you know. Right. And, so in uh, our,
0: it's like for my back, row, like security. A lot of times you'll see people that come in like, oh, I want to be a bodyguard. I want to be an executive protection agent. I'm really good at karate. I'm a great boxer. Well, it's like if you're punch first, like you need more than just one thing on your tool belt to be successful. It's kind of cool hearing you say it, and you go out there and learn all these different techniques because you do need them to be to survive. Without one thing's just gonna kind of. And I think everything you can pull the good from each one and some of the bad stuff. You can kind of whatever, but as long as you get to open your mind, I, I think that's awesome.
1: You know, one of my coaches, that uh, Chuck Merriman that I was telling you about, who did a lot of bodyguarding, he said the problem with karate and kung fu is a lot of times it's based on theory. You know, if uh, this happened and then I did this, you would fall down. Boxing is not theory. You're really getting hit. Right. You know, kickboxing, you're really getting kicked and punched, you know, so you better learn how to deal with that. You know, Uh, jujitsu, judo, people are really choking you and throwing your ass down on the ground and then, you know, choke, you know, putting you in locks. And, and, you know, that's that's not theory. You got to learn how to deal with that, you know. Right. And so I I love that about MMA. And I'm a huge fan, you know, like I'm a huge fan of MMA. I've heard you talk about you do like
0: Conor McGregor. um, I do.
1: Could be. Well, one of the things I like about Conor McGregor, you know, I know a lot of people think that that boxing match was a hoax is I think he can really box, you know, right. I think he can really box. And I love when I see an MMA fighter who has really good skills, or let's say you can see his skills improving with time as he works on boxing. You know, I love that Gaethje, that Justin Gaethje, you know, yes. he's, he, he's going to fight Habib, you know, and I think, you know, That's going to, that could be, end up being a really tough fight for Habib, you know, and I love that, you know, but I heard Gaethje saying in his last, you know, when they interviewed him, that he realized he was getting hit too much because he lost to Alvarez. I don't know if you saw that fight. Yes. Alvarez hit him really hard in the body repeatedly. And Alvarez is a pretty good boxer. You know I mean? He hits hard. He hits really hard. And Gaethje hadn't been hit in the body like that, you know his defense has improved so much now, like he's making people miss, you know, he, he, he realized something, you know, and I love it when I see that, you know, and I love that Connor made it, you know, to like the 12th or round or, I mean, the 11th round or so with, with Mayweather, you know, I mean, I think it's a, that was a big accomplishment in itself, you know. Right. And Um, even
0: go 12, even to go that long with, arguably pound-for-pound pound the best defensive all-around fighter, boxer. Yeah, yeah. You, that's that's a testament just to have the balls to even go in there for that. Yeah, and a lot of guys, a lot of MMA
1: guys probably couldn't have done that. You right. Know?
0: The, uh, Joe Rogan today actually posted on his socials. Um, Gage, use was in the studio today, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he was doing some training, like sparring. But he was showing, like, these crazy angles where he's punching. it. Was just, it's very fascinating watching something like that. Yeah. He clearly loves what they do. Yeah. They're so proud of it. It's just awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, he hits hard. He he and his improved so much, you know, you know, like a a lot of times, you know, in the beginning, these fighters, there's they're sort of like too tough for their own good. You know, like they're real. Some can hit really hard. They're really tough. They don't care that they're getting hit, but they haven't. Been really tested, you know. Can you endure somebody else who's doing that same thing to you, you know? But plus on top of it has really good defense, you know. And I think that happened to Gaethje, and it made him move up another level. And I loved it when he said, "I I realized I had to learn how to not get hit so much." You know, wow, <laughs> that's you know, that's smart. You know, right?
0: It's cool having you. It's like like you actually being a fan of fighters and the art, it's very, I, I talked to a bunch of people where they're like, yeah, oh, I don't really follow it. Oh, I, but it's cool that like you're actually a student of the game still, and you're still actively learning and kind of <clears throat> watching these guys and girls.
1: Well, you know, I had to learn a lot at the, um, like when I started boxing because I had that thing where I would stand away because I was a good kicker, stand away from somebody, and kick them and feel fine, safe, you know. But when I got in the pocket, I'd be like, ah, 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 you know, what's going on in here? And so I had to really do a lot of offensive and defensive boxing drills and learn because I was like, a, you know, I really loved watching Vander Holfield fight. You know, he would take a punch and punch you right back. He would take one boom, and then he would just immediately punch you back. And I kind of took that to heart. When I was boxing, you know, back then and I was watching him uh, fight some of those really tough heavyweights, you know, so those were some of the best boxing matches of all time, you know, and uh, I, I just had a lot of respect for that. And so I used to sometimes, you know, like if I started feeling, you know, afraid of getting hit or something, I would let somebody hit me a few times and go, you see, that's not that bad. Calm down. You know, and and then you start to be able to watch, really watch what's going on. Things sort of slow down. You know, I love that. You know, you remain present. You can actually see and observe what's going on and then respond to it in the moment. You know, and that's what boxers do. You know, like they're not afraid of getting punched so they can watch what's going on right in the moment and move their head a little bit and let a punch go by. You know, and I just love that. I love that. That's that's the way a martial artist should be. But a lot of us didn't get that good enough training in the beginning. That's one of the things I love about uh, Kathy Long. You know, I mean, she's a real fighter, you know, and I used to respect some of the things that, that I saw her putting on um, on YouTube, you know, some really good drills and And I took that. I take that stuff to heart. I go, wow, I can use that one. And Joe Lewis, uh, I, I started when I moved down to L.A., I needed, I needed my f- Friday night fights, you know. I didn't have any, any – I had to make new friends to train with, you know. And Arlene Lemus, who is from uh, – she's from Chicago originally, um, but she uh, she moved and started uh, working for Jeff Smith. You know who Jeff Smith is, right? Yes. Uh, out of uh, – you know, he was out of the Junrye. Uh, you know, he was a former world champion kickboxer and he's a great fighter, you know, and she, she moved down there and start training with him and opened a school and stuff. And she said, Keith, you got to go to Steve Fisher's and in LA. And so one day I went down there on a, on a, every Wednesday night, he had open black belt sparring and it was in the hood and you never knew who you were going to see there. And people, it was like I said, there were some people who were kind of friendly about it. And there were guys who were just trying to knock you out, you know, and I love that. And I learned so much from Steve. And one of the things that I remember that night that I was on that card with with Maurice Smith, um, the guest was um, was Joe Lewis. And he actually fought an exhibition match with the the promoter and he was going to seminar. But I was I was on the card that night, so I didn't go to the seminar. So I missed it, you know, but then uh, Steve was real close with Joe Lewis. So I went to a couple of his seminars at Steve's school and it was so funny. The day I met him, I, w- I walk up, Steve goes, I want you to meet Joe Lewis. And I was like, oh, great. Come up, and as he was demonstrating a back fit, he, he goes, he was demonstrating a back fist, and He goes, here, you stand there. And the next thing he was bare knuckling me on the forehead with back fist, Super fast one. You know, I was like, ding. And I was like, thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks a lot. You know, but uh, that was cool. But I learned so much about defense in the seminar. He had this thing, he called them angles of attack, you know, and like learning to put your shoulder into the angle of attack. Like if, if a hook punch is coming from here and I'm here and the hook is coming this way to turn, you know, and shield and tuck your chin down in there. I got, I took that to heart, believe me, and just all these punching and blocking boxing drills that it was the same kind of stuff that I saw Kathy Long doing you know and she obviously had may- maybe the person that trained her might have trained with Joe Lewis at some time he had really usable teachable drills that worked really well and I use them with all my students we do a lot of boxing and kickboxing offensive and defensive drills. Right. So kids aren't afraid of getting hit from very early on. They can be in the pocket and watch and slip and move and stuff like that. And check, check punches, you know? And I love that. I love that stuff. You the know, thing it, it.
0: In talking with Kathy the other day, like she really hit home. The fact that a lot of her training now, or even as you go and find it was all real practical reality based situations, whether it's yeah. striking or how to take a fall, how to, it was just very fascinating to hear someone talk like that. Mm -hmm. So in 1994, you start your training academy. Is this after you retire, kind of from the active competition? I
1: was was still doing acting jobs. I did, I did, uh, my studio was, I think it was, I can't remember if it was open when I did the first mortal Kombat? I think it was, I think it was, I would, my studio was already open. Cause I think I did that in 1995 when I played reptile. And then I did, after I did that, I did Beverly Hills Ninja and then mortal Kombat 2, And I had the studio running that whole time and it was running really well. You know, we, I had a really good manager. I had other teachers there so I could go work. I could go, work on movies and we shot Beverly Hills Ninja right in Los Angeles. So I was working at the school when I wasn't working there and going back and forth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I did quite a bit of work acting still after the school was open, but, uh, um, China O'Brien King of the kickboxers, uh, that stuff was before I opened school. So uh, on Netflix, Beverly Hills Ninja, I think, just
0: came on last month. Oh. And I watched it again. And obviously, I know you have a great friendship with Robin from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't realize, and I remember seeing that movie in the theater, when you guys kind of beat up in this movie, they kind of played that Mortal Kombat theme a little bit. It was kind of a cool tease.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, we go way back. Um, we actually went to China together in 1982. Um We trained together a lot. His instructor knew my instructor, and we had some exchanges. So I I met him back in the 80s, you know. I mean, back in the – it might even have been late 70s, you know. and He was a kid, and he ended up moving to Hong Kong and making quite a few movies there. And I didn't see him for all those years while he was in Hong Kong. And then when he came back, we got together again. And I had actually auditioned for the Liu Kang role and didn't get it, but I got, I I must've gone to six or seven callbacks. And um, so I know I got down to the last few guys probably, Um, but Robin ended up getting it obviously. And they shot the whole thing. And he called me and said, they're not happy. They want more action. And that's when Chris Casamasa uh, shot another fight scene, um, as uh, Scorpion. Yep. And uh, I got hired to fight Robin um, as the reptile, you know. And that was after the fact and they built sets in the Van Nuys Airport. And so it was real easy for me to, you know, go to the studio and go over there. And Robin uh, worked out with me a lot. So we, we, you know, at Beverly Hills Ninja, Chris Farley trained at my studio to get really? ready for the, yeah, to get ready for the movie. And he actually got in, he got in good shape, you know. He got in, you know, good shape for him, you know, was he's still plump, you know, but he could move, man. He, he could do a fast cartwheel and yeah. he learned how to use some weapons and how to kick and punch and stuff. So I read something. You actually helped teach or kind of instruct
0: Spielberg's kids?
1: I did. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I so did.
0: How does, how does that come about? Like, how no, do they?
1: You know, you know, when I when I first uh, got right after the China O'Brien uh, experience, I got a manage. I I had I got a lawyer. They they offered me a Golden Harvest. Um, offered me a three picture deal. I actually met with Raymond Chow. They used to have an office in Beverly Hills, and it was just me and Raymond Chow sitting there, and it was like you know huge honor for me I really wanted to uh, go to Hong Kong and that's what they wanted me to do they wanted me to come to Hong Kong and my my lawyer was like Keith why do you want to go to Hong Kong you could you just got here and look you're already making movies they're offering you a deal you should stay here and make American movies you know and he really was against that that deal and it kind of broke my heart but eventually they thought we were messing with them too much and said okay forget it you know
0: sure.
1: and I, I would have went to Hong Kong like Robin and Donnie Yen did and started making movies over there and it just wasn't in the cards for some reason that's it's cool
0: and I, I you did some stuff with Battle Alita I believe too
1: oh yeah I trained Rosa Salazar for quite some time I trained uh Zoe Saldana for for uh, Avatar you know, it's kind of a coincidence. I I trained um, Michael Bean, who was in the Terminator. Yeah, remember? and he he I, he was actually training with me when he did the Undersea one. Uh, what was that called? The Abyss. the Abyss. The Abyss. Yeah, I trained with him. I trained him for years. I met him on a movie called Rampage, and he he was the star of that movie. With it was a it was a Billy Friedkin movie. William Friedkin directed it. And I got to know William Friedkin. Awesome. I was pretty young at the time, but, but that's where I met uh, Michael Bean. and and then uh, so I met James Cameron through him. Do you know the stunt coordinator, uh, Garrett Warren? Do you know who he is? I've heard of yes. He was one of Billy Blank's students, and I knew him when he was a kid. When I went and did a I did a seminar at Billy's school in Boston way back before Taibo and stuff like that. And uh, Garrett was like a green belt and he stayed with Billy when Billy moved out out to Los Angeles and became a Taibo instructor. He was a really good martial artist, Garrett and uh, got into stunting and became a stunt double for this TV actor. And then from there he became a stunt coordinator and he hired me on avatar to train Zoe Saldana because he was the stunt coordinator and he didn't have time to do it, so she came to the studio and would train three two-hour sessions a week, and those pay really well because you know, like like the studio is paying you, right? Basically, the for providing the place <laughs> and the instruction, and so that went really well. And then I got hired again by him for uh, Alita to train uh, to train uh, Rosa Salazar. Right. and so that was that was really cool. And Rosa trained a lot. We had some fun. I should we we one of the things that I like to do with them that I did with Rosa a lot is we would just choreograph little fights so she could practice like doing fights and really early on in her training. She'd only been training there. You know, I want to say three weeks or a month or something like that. And we shot this little sequence and it came out. It looked really good. We, we did. some we shot it in slow motion and then we shot it at regular. We shot it at regular speed. We shot it slow motion. And then we edited it together, so parts of it were slow-mo, parts of it. And she was just so good in it. I was like, wow, it's too bad this doesn't have sound effects. And so she took it and she sent it to Robert Rodriguez this before, you know, before the shooting of the movie. And you put sound effects on it, and you did little special effects. It would blow you away. I, I, awesome. I want to send it. To, I, actually, I was telling my wife I want to post it on my Instagram because you it's should. so cool you know, to see what it was when we sent it to them. And then to see what it was after Robert Rodriguez messed with it a little bit, he put some great sound effects on it. And it it was just really cool. So for the sound effects editing,
0: did it have real people throw the punches or is it just like a program type of?
1: Oh, you know, you know, um, like sometimes I would go in for looping. Like I did it on Beverly Hills Ninja. It was so funny because I brought my son one day and Dennis, we were putting the sound effects in. So Usually it's yelling and stuff like that, you know, (laughs) that that kind of stuff. And I've even seen it where they have somebody making the sound effect of hits and, you know, crash into a, you know, a trash can or something like that. You know, that they have a trash can there and someone throws it against the ground, you know, and, you know, stuff like that. But most of the sound effects, they have them already. You know, they have them and they put them on, you know, for hits and stuff like that different kind of, you know, like this one's going to sound different than a body shot, you know, it's pretty cool though, you know, how, how much of a, a difference it can make in the impact, you know, right. A person's reactions can really sell a punch, the punch itself, the body language of the person throwing the punch, all of those things add, add to it, you know, and it can add up to, I like it, you know, obviously when they look strong, you know, and, and so I'm big into body language, you know, when you throw a punch on screen. You
0: know, right. Did you get to keep the reptile or the Sub-Zero costume for the World Cup? No.
1: Race? No, I didn't even think about it. You know, it never Damn. even my mind because I probably I, – I might have been able to, you know, but I, I never, never – I think Chris
0: kept the Scorpio one.
1: I'm so, not, so
0: they say. He won't admit yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's kind of talk about your school itself now. Um, one of the things when I kind of reached out to you, this is probably a couple months ago, that your your social media with the the training and whether it's how to throw a punch or stretching or your healthy lifestyle, kind of how, is that something you've always been a firm believer in, or is it part of your kind of recovery process from injuries going through your active real competitions?
1: Well, I was really, you know, um, inspired from, Bruce Lee in the beginning who was way into getting his body to where it could support his martial art, you know, and I've always felt that fitness flexibility, you know, flexibility, strength, balance, all of those things are boundaries in your martial arts practice. And so you need to be really good at those things. And so I like it when my conditioning includes those things. So I try to do things that, uh, Develop a lot of core strength and balance that's useful. Like I do your rotational strength training, you know, in, in the, uh, using a lot of tubes and stuff like that, that actually really develop balance. And now that's, that's developed into like good health for people. Like I have, uh, women like in their sixties and seventies that do it, that they get so much out of it because they develop the posture and the strength, so that it's less likely that they might fall down and hurt themselves or something. Right. Like that. And uh, I've always been like, from thing like, I don't want to get my ass kicked by someone because I wasn't in, in good a shape as they were. If they're like way more talented or more skilled at the martial arts, I understand. I, I have to, you know, I have to bite that bullet, but. Uh, if I didn't do my homework and I didn't get myself in good enough shape. And so usually when I, I would say most of the time when I competed in martial arts, I was physically in better shape than the other guy. It didn't mean that I didn't get beat sometimes because the guy was better than me or more skilled than me or something like that. And then I would want to challenge him again, you know, but I just think that, you know, I think that physical fitness became a very high priority of mine very early on. And I had this guy at the university of Washington who was, he uh, ran the Taekwondo club there and he was a heavyweight uh, Taekwondo champion, AAU champion, you know, the full contact Taekwondo where you don't punch in the face. Right. I I used to fight in those tournaments too, a lot, you know, and you, you, you learn a lot, but he was a, he was a former running back for the Baltimore Colts and he was a really strong guy. And so I sparred with him a lot and I trained with him and I learned a lot about fitness from that guy. You know, I think he had a lot of running drills and jumping drills that he used to do for football, you know? And and so that became part of my training and I learned a lot about that. And I used to tell people, you know, since he was a sparring partner, he was fast, strong, you know, and basically could kick my ass, you know? And, and so I used to tell people when I went to a tournament, it felt like a day off. It felt like a light day, you know, because I was fighting guys my size, you know? And, and so I was just really blessed to have really good guys to, to train with that really challenged me, you know? And, but the fitness thing turned into a, a whole thing at my school where we have a whole fitness. I taught at 6am, uh, fitness class Monday through Friday mornings for 20 years and an 830 I did 630 and an 830 so I taught 10 during the week and then I did one Saturday morning and one Sunday morning so I taught is that I think it was 12 fitness classes a week you know for like 20 years and that kept me in good shape. You know, I, I wouldn't do the whole class, every class, but I did a lot of it, you know, right? Did a lot of demonstrating. And it, it it kept me in good shape there. And a lot of the guys, a lot of the people at that studio, I, I ran boot camps for the past 20 years, too. And I started by it was inspired by a program. It was called um, The Ultimate something like the ultimate body training course. And it was a kickboxer uh, named Jim Graydon that put it together. And it was based on body for life. That book by Bill Phillips, you know, yep. we go on a, you used to go, we used to use protein supplements called myoplex. The people on that, they go on a diet. I had people lose like 60 to a hundred pounds sometimes in 10 weeks, you know, and just working out every day. We would, alternate between strength training and kickboxing and uh it became a, a way of life at our studio the fitness thing and i think it should be you know it really should be you know there's probably uh, uh enough studios out there that still don't do enough fitness for me, you know it should be a big part of what you do you know
0: yeah, that's why I love watching your page because whether it's either a Saturday morning or a Tuesday night, you're always posting cool content like that. It's so you kind of sit back. And even for me, I've always had that thing where if you're working, you're, I don't have time to stretch. I don't have time to work out. or Yeah. I, I mean, now with COVID, I'm kind of like, if I can do 100 sit-ups, 100 push-ups every day, flat, and then whatever other work that I can do, I'm going to do that. And so I think it took me 35 years to finally figure out that we I mean, take advantage of the uh The the, take advantage of
1: all that. I think we're supposed to exercise every day. I think we're meant to actually. I think our bodies and our minds respond to that really well. You you just feel healthier. You feel better about yourself. You're going to feel more confident. And I think in your line of work, that would certainly be very important, you know, for the mental health and the physical well-being of a security person, a security, you know, somebody who's who needs to be alert and feel good, you know? I think it's really important. Right. So
0: I guess a kind of follow up on you on that. How do you train your mind? Is your mind trained through your pushing of your physical limits? Or how would you tell someone to help someone to have say they're having a bad day? How do you how do you help someone kind of push that negative energy away to make sure they're able to commit and be successful <clears throat> when you can wake it up?
1: Well, one of the things I do when, when we work out, because I think a lot of negative thoughts come into people's minds, even in the middle of a workout, their, their self-talk is kind of like, oh, this sucks.
0: When is this going to be over?
1: You know, stuff like that. You know, when, it, when it's really good to work on keeping your breathing relaxed and rhythm. Rhythm is a, a really huge thing for me and fitness, is doing things with a rhythm and keeping it, you know, like if you're repping, you know, like one of the things we do in our class, like we might go down into a squat, holding onto a medicine ball, push it up twice at the bottom of the squat, come up out with two rotations, and then tip back and do two round kicks. That's one rep, you know? And to keep that with a really good rhythm and keep your breathing relaxed. One of the things I used to do in the beginning, because. I wanted to try hard. And I think when people hold their breath, they feel like they're trying hard. They're getting more done. This is so hard, but they don't realize one of the reasons it's so hard is because they're not breathing, you know, <laughs> they're actually making it harder for themselves. And then they don't get as much. And that's really hard on the mind when you don't breathe and you're, you're just sort of beating yourself up, you know, and you're making it almost like like the swimmer who doesn't breathe relaxed. They never get anywhere, you know. I was really impressed that I heard that Michael Phelps in his first Olympic Games on the butterfly was the only athlete that had the same amount of strokes in his first lap as his last lap. He was the only one. And that blew me away. And I was like, rhythm, rhythm. You know, and when I went to China and I trained with some of those athletes over there, I felt like they could jump so much higher than me, you know, in the beginning. And then I could see that they had a different rhythm. You know, like like when they would take off to do a jump kick, they would get their kick off really early in the jump, and so a lot of them have the kick off and they're still rising after the kick was done. You know, I was like, wow, that makes it look like really effortless, and it makes it look like they're floating. And it was a rhythm thing, and it's. I, I started to catch their rhythm because I was working out with them, and I started to look like I was. It was more of a an illusion actually, but it was. It was actually because of the rhythm. And I think rhythm is so important. Like if you can put your mind on your breathing and your rhythm when you're working out, it's a really positive focus for your mind to keep your mind busy from away from the suffering of the hard work, you know? And that's one of the things that I do. And also, you know, I think that, you know, like Bruce Lee was really into, to, you know, Uh, like I saw a picture of him recently reading a book and on the cover it said it said Chinese philosophy. You know. What was that? I mean who knows what was in that book? You know, it could have been Confucianism. But the book that I really like and I really recommend it to you because it has a lot about being a warrior. It's 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 called the Tao De Ching. I don't know if you've read it. Tao De Ching. And at that time, when I was training Spielberg's kids, I was also teaching another producer, Norman Lear. Yes. Uh, do you know who that is? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's really big. He, he was, he's still alive. He's, he's quite old now. But his son never gave up. And he, my instructor had given me the Dao De Ching when I was a kid, and it kind of flew right over my head. I was like, what is this? This doesn't make any sense at all. And I was just too young to appreciate it. You know, um, there's stuff in there um, about, you know, like the generals have a saying. It's it's, rather than make the first move, it's better to wait and see. Rather than advance an inch, it's better to retreat a yard. This is called going forward without uh, advancing, pushing back without using weapons. There's no greater misfortune than underestimating your enemy underestimating your enemy means thinking he is evil. Therefore, you destroy your three treasures, simplicity, patience, compassion, and you become the enemy yourself. Wow. Yeah, and uh, that's just an example of one of them. Uh, When people take a black belt test at at our, our school, even if they're getting their black belt at, say, 11 years old because they've been there since they were three and a half, they have to uh, memorize a speech from that book. And that's why they become so ingrained in me because I've heard them for so many years at our black belt tests. And, and I reread I was just telling my wife the other day. I want to reread that book again. And it's 80 poems or 81 poems. It's very easy to read. And, uh, I recommend the one, uh, I think, uh, what's his name? Oh, I'll get it for you. I'll, I'll, because there's different trans it's been translated more than any other book in history, other than the Bible. You know, it's twenty five hundred years old, supposedly, that's the legend. Um, but there's a lot of stuff because China was at war for so many years, you know, and that's one of the reasons the Shaolin Temple I think exists, or the Shaolin martial arts, because the monks became so weak that when they went out for supplies, they'd get robbed, beat up, killed. They had to learn to defend themselves, you know and i love stories like that about how the martial arts was you know and that that a lot of these uh things that are in there about humility and uh you know it us martial artists you know i, I you know i believe people should have the right to bear arms i believe that but i also believe why wouldn't um i i think that It's important for people to have training when they have weapons like that, you know, not just, you know, pick them up at the corner market and then go up and shoot someone, you know. 100%. I, you know, in the martial arts, for you to get proficient at the martial arts, it takes discipline, dedication, you know, a lot of things that uh, you can just go buy a gun, you know. And, you know, I don't like that. You know, I I, I think that it's a privilege to, own a weapon like that, that can take somebody's life. And somebody should be willing to get the training that is necessary to be responsible with that weapon. In the martial arts, it comes through years and years of practice. You can't right. overnight become a deadly weapon in the martial arts, it's a lot more deadly for you in the beginning, you know? Right. And so, um, I think there's a lot of things in the book about that. That's why I highly recommend it. I'll I'll definitely grab it. Um, Norman Lear gave it to me and he said he used to listen to the tape in his car when he was feeling rattled and it would help him get more centered, you know? And I love that about it too.
0: What are your goals as a teacher? I know, I I think one of your students won gold medals last Olympics, right?
1: Yeah, no, he won a gold medal in the Beijing Olympics in 2008. Okay. When they added wushu martial arts, yes. Chinese martial arts, as a as a demonstration sport, and it didn't stick. Like karate is was supposed to be in the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo. They they added karate, but they already told them they're not going to stay in in the Olympic Games. I was like I was like starting to train our students more in karate because I thought it was going to become an Olympic sport like taekwondo did. Right. Like you can't even watch taekwondo anymore though. I mean. You know, because they like, they can't punch. You know, and I go, this doesn't. You know, it's just not. It's not real enough to me anymore. You know, like I don't find it very entertaining. And then you know, like in the karate, you know, we started going to the traditional Japanese karate tournaments again. I used to go to them in the beginning. They were big up in the Seattle area. There's a lot of traditional Japanese karate, and there were a lot of good fighters especially good right hands, guys with good right hands. And so I got really good at defending against the right hand because I was seeing so many of them, you know, and I love that about it. I was really disappointed when they didn't make it, when I heard that they're not going to, you know, and I was disappointed. I, I feel sort of like um, uh, I felt bad for Wushu, you know, you need, I guess, they have to figure out how it's going to make money, I think, or you know, right. be a big more sport or something. Or there has to be a big enough in- infrastructure worldwide with that sport. Which I thought karate had it. You know, like when you say they have some huge karate tournaments all over Europe and in in South America, they're they're set up. It's big. It's organized. You know, right. I don't understand. I don't quite understand why I didn't make it, but. Um, you were asking me about some of the goal. Yeah, as a,
0: as a teacher, kind of. I mean, I I kind of assumed that man, if I get an Olympic athlete, or I could get so many kids, men yeah. and girls, to become black belts. Like, at what point are you kind of are you happy, or are you always chasing the next thing?
1: Um, I I I I'd say I'm more inspired by MMA than anything else right now, and so we. You know, we I wrestled in high school and I I've studied some jujitsu and I have some good friends, but uh, we we have a fairly simplistic grappling curriculum at the school. You know, we work we work a lot on defending against, you know, takedowns and uh, we 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 work on ground and pound and defending the ground and pound and we work on the get up right (laughs) standing back up when you're down uh um i i want to you know be inspired and i want the students to be inspired i got a little disillusioned with karate tournaments you know because you would you would see such a range of bad judging you know we we went to those traditional japanese karate tournaments and i have some kids that are tremendous fighters young guys you know and one of them actually went there and beat the, the best kid. He's a national competitor. Japanese, had been going, to, been going to a ton of tournaments and was one of the top competitors in the whole nation. And this kid from my school beat him his first time ever going to a traditional Japanese karate tournament. Just a really good fighter. But they, they won't give you points for certain things. You know, like you could sidekick someone so hard in the body that it knocks them back and hurts them they still won't give you a point, you know. And I was like, it was really frustrating. It's frustrating to to them too as competitors, you know. One kid after he had a really bad experience quit. You know, I was like, this is horrible, you know? Right. So, but I think, you know, the main thing is like if you can make a help a person gain confidence in themselves and help them deal with adversity, you know? And the adversity when you're sparring is you've got punches and kicks flying your way, you know? And, and so we've got a great group of women that work out there. You know, unfortunately I think I'm going to have to move, you know, we haven't been open since uh, March 13th. We've been closed and I'm, I stopped paying rent. Now, the landlord doesn't really want to, you know, I offered her, you know, sort of like a partnership, I'll, I'll give you 20% of whatever I can make when they open us up, when they allow us to open again. And she turned me down. And so I'm going to give another offer that we've been there for 20, right, 26 years. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of shocking to me. We haven't moved yet, you know, but I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities of places to go with a lot lower rent,
0: you know, right.
1: I'm going to go non storefront if I open up another place, you know, and try to find a place with garage doors, you know, that open up so you can you can get really good ventilation and stuff. Right? Uh, you know, my my thing that motivates me is trying to get somebody to be a good martial artist and that can fight, you know, can really fight because I think, you know, like if you can't go in there and be able to defend yourself against the average bully, at least, you know, at school, you know, you're not doing a very good job as a, as a martial arts instructor. And so for that reason, you know, we bang a little bit at our place, you know, because I think you have to, you know, yep, you do. And we're really good at building it up slowly and getting kids used to it through drills, you know, where they kind of know what's coming and they get used to getting beat up a little bit in drills before you don't just, it's just not like on your markets at go. We through these drills, like I was talking about offensive, defensive drills, we do a lot. And we make them as real as possible. They learn how to check real punches, how to slip punches, how to block, how to absorb energy, you know, how to be kind of soft on impact, soften the impact of things. And they build their confidence slowly. And then then we have these tremendous matches, you know, and it's so fun, you know, and they have fun. And that's when when it's great. That's when it's great.
0: So I kind of want to circle back to the last question. Whoever's watching this, you were competitor of the year in 83, 85, and 86, correct? Yes. So how –
1: Competitor of the year, uh, the Inside Kung Fu magazine, you know, they were the two – Black Belt and Inside Kung Fu Magazine were the two main publications right back then. In 1983, I got the Hall of Fame, the Inside Kung Fu Hall of Fame competitor of the year. And uh, then in 85, I got the Black Belt Hall of Fame uh, competitor of the year. And then in 86, I got the Inside Kung Fu again. And so I, was how- thinking that I was going to a lot, a lot of tournaments.
0: Okay. So i was just kind of curious how that's based on is that victories or the fact that you were just going out there and fighting nonstop.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, I was going out there and I was doing forms, weapons and fighting and Jesus. I got rated in all three categories and I did it, you know, you do it consistently enough and they, they start noticing, I guess. Um, so
0: if, when, it, when it comes to like the, the physical aspect of fighting, you were doing this stuff before social media you couldn't look up someone's stats or fighting. So you think how would you kind of train, assuming you kind of fought the same people a bunch of times, how did you know to like were you able to read up on other fighters? Or is this one of those things where you put so much time and dedication to your craft that you're just focusing on yourself?
1: Well, uh I don't know if I understand your question. You are, are you asking me if I was able to figure out how to fight different?
0: People? Well, like before, like fighters now, you go on YouTube and watch everyone fighter. YouTube. Oh yeah, right. We didn't have so, that, right? So we didn't how have did you that.
1: guys? I would read them. about them, but I went to a lot of tournaments, so a lot of the guys I would see them, see them fight before I had to fight them. You know, okay. And uh, also, when you're fighting that day, like I remember, I fought. It was either it was probably 1980. The I went to the Internationals, Long Beach Internationals. Have you heard of that tournament? Yes. It was, it used to be the biggest karate tournament in the world. And that was the one that Bruce Lee demonstrated at. That's why yes. I was like, you know, I always wanted to go there. And I went there and I just fought. I only fought. And usually when you go to a karate tournament, if there's three weight divisions or four weight divisions, there might be five or six guys in each division, in the black belt division. There was something like 150 lightweights, you know, and I was like blown away. And they were people from like, like I'd never seen this before. There were a lot of Mexican fighters there that came up from Mexico to compete there. There were people from Europe, you know, that came to fight in that competition. And so I had to have like to get to the finals. I made it to the finals and I lost. I, I took second. But I felt like it was one of the biggest accomplishments I'd ever done because I had to—I had like ten fights, you know—to get to the—to get to the—the the final, you know. How and long were you? The guy, to, the guy that I lost to in the lightweight division won grand champion
0: that day. Wow!
1: So, so and, are you
0: fighting ten like fights over the course of a couple of days, or is this? No, a, it's
1: one day, one one afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> So it must be
0: kind of cool while people watch it, cheer it on, and kind of.
1: Yeah, it was very cool. There was a lot of people there. Yeah, I fought in a, in quite a few big tournaments over the years. Yeah, I
0: wonder why that kind of atmosphere kind of changed because now it's unless it's UFC or Strike Force or like you don't really have that kind well, of. Well,
1: you know, we thought we thought we were doing real karate back then. You know, you know what I mean. We <laughs> thought we were real fighters. You know. And I think we've learned that, you know, real fighters are like the UFC guys, you know, real fighters that are responsible, you know, for grappling, boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu. You know, you have to be to be a real well-rounded fighter. You've got to be good, proficient in a lot of different things. And we were just kicking and punching back then. I wish it was different, you know. I told you I wrestled in high school because I, right. thought, I thought it would help my fighting, and it did. Because in the Japanese tournaments, they can take you down and punch you. And there was a guy named Ferdy Orbino, and he was really good at taking people down. And I fought him, uh, I fought him three times, and he took me down like two or three times. But I brought him right down with me, and he wasn't able to. He wasn't able to punch me, and I don't think I would have been able to do that had I not wrestled in high school. Right. You know, I wasn't afraid to grab onto somebody and grapple.
0: Well, thank you, Keith, for the uh, discussion. It's, thank you. It's great to kind of hear and kind of pick your mind over the stuff, and some of the stuff is just fascinating, so I
1: thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure, anytime. <laughs> or sexy. Catch us on, on the, the, the Dean Blundell Blund Network. Network. Or on our YouTube channel.
0: Or wherever you get
1: your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something do. you do. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports.